Welcome to the Newson Health Menopause Podcast. I'm Dr. Louise Newson, a GP and menopause specialist, and I run the Newson Health Menopause and Wellbeing Centre here in Stratford-upon-Avon. So today I'm delighted to be able to welcome to you Kirsty Lang, who is a well-known and very well-respected journalist. So hi Kirsty, thank you Hello. for coming hi, today. Hi. So I was just reflecting before I press record that I first met you at a conference in London um, at the Royal Society and it was a very interesting conference. I was really privileged to be speaking there. Uh, the main reason for the conference was it was, I think it was titled Patient Choice and Avram Blooming, who is a very respected oncologist from America, had come over and he gave the main presentation in the morning. And it was based around his book called Estrogen Matters, which is an amazing book that I think as many women as possible should read. And you were chairing the session. And what really I found sad when I listened to you was you were talking about HRT and you said yes I used to take it and those were the good old days and I thought oh I wonder what's going on and then um, I thought I'd love to talk to you find out more and then you left at lunchtime and that was it I thought oh dear poor lady. Well it's funny for me it was it was a quite a sort of life-changing moment. Two years prior to that conference I had been diagnosed uh, with breast cancer and uh, I had been on HRT and because it was a, 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 an estrogen-related breast cancer, uh, I was told to stop immediately mm. uh, the HRT, which is, you know, normal normal practice. And two years on, I was on a drug called uh, letrozole, um, which is sort of in, in, inhibits estrogen in your body to protect me from breast cancer. And I was I was suffering. I was suffering mm. uh, very extreme menopausal symptoms. Um, hot flushes, uh, terribly aching bones and joints. I mean, I would get up in the morning, I'd be like a little old lady. Um, and I, it was almost like I, I could sort of see myself aging, literally in yes. the mirror. You know, yeah. Just horrendous. Mm. But I felt, well, this was my lot. You know, this was kind mm. of, you know, I was lucky to survive and that was that. And I sat there and I listened to this lecture by Avram Blooming, who uh, is a very experienced oncologist, specialist in breast cancer. And he said... I put some of my breast cancer uh, patients on HRT. And I thought, oh, my God. And two of those patients, incidentally, were his wife and daughter, both of whom had had breast cancer. So I went up to him afterwards, explained my situation. He said, well, look, I'm not going to give you an instant diagnosis. You have to go to your own uh, doctor and oncologist and surgeon and talk Mm. this through. But, you know, in, in some cases it is possible. And if your quality of life is really suffering, I would recommend you do that. And so that that set me on on a journey that led me eventually to your, um, I mean, I, I took a lot of opinions. Uh, the good thing yes. about being a journalist is that <laughs> uh, I decided to write about it for the Mail on mm. Sunday health pages. And I was able to uh, interview lots of people and get free consultations along the way. <laughs> and anyway, that journey led me to your clinic in Stratford-upon-Avon. Mm. And, you know, I have to say, almost sort of six months on. Six months, probably, yeah. I feel so much better. And I should add, um, I just want everyone to know, I am on tamoxifen, and that's quite important, isn't it? It is, absolutely. And I think, let's shelve that a little bit. Let's mm. go back a bit more, because I don't want this podcast for every woman who's had breast cancer to think, right, let's go on HRT first off, and that's because that's obviously not what 
I as a menopause specialist would do or recommend to patients. But what I was doing at that presentation or or the, the day that we met, I was giving a presentation about patient choice. And I very strongly feel as a doctor, I'm not paternalistic. I think we should be giving people the evidence and sometimes sharing uncertainty as well and weighing up risks and benefits of everything that we do. So it's not just about HRT, it's about whether we take a statin for our raised cholesterol, whether we take a blood pressure treatment, whether we advise someone to cross a road or not, because there's risks in whatever we do. This is what I was talking about at the presentation. And, you know, there's lots of food for thought. Medicine's really changed over the years. We're now thinking more about preventative care as well. Obviously, there are diseases that need treatment. But if we can reduce diseases by our lifestyle, by looking at the way we live our life, the way we eat, the way we exercise can reduce disease. And that's got to be a good thing. So your breast cancer, Kirsty, was that was picked up by breast screening That's right. It was picked up by a routine mammogram. Mm. So I was extremely lucky. You know, I was called to my local um, NHS testing facility. Um, They found something. It was, you know, quite a fast growing grade three tumour, but it was small. And I was able to have a lumpectomy, which was great. So I kept my breast. Mm. And I also had a fantastic uh, thing, which is only available in certain areas bit of a postcode lottery I'm afraid called interoperative radiotherapy where I just had one dose of radiation while I was under anesthetic during the operation so they take out the tumor and they blast the tumor bed with radiation which is incredible isn't it it's absolutely incredible and I was in and out in one day yeah and that was spoken about a lot at the conference as well wasn't it they had a whole session about interoperative radiotherapy because it's very commonly used in Germany isn't it Germany America Australia yes I mean nice somewhat dragged its feet over this I think there's some kind of institutional resistance from radiotherapists and radiographers because a lot of work that they get in those departments is from early stage breast cancer patients. And the machine, it's a special machine made in Germany, is only available in a few hospitals. I was fortunate to be able to have it in the Great Western Hospital in Swindon where they do have a machine because particularly for women from rural areas it's it's really important uh, because otherwise you have to drive in every day a quite a long journey to have radiotherapy yeah yeah. Um, so I mean I had so in terms of my initial treatment for breast cancer it was excellent my treatment Uh, uh, really 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 good I can't fault it but when it came I I would suppose to the sort of long-term aftercare and quality of Mm. life I came to realize that there really wasn't much out there for breast cancer survivors. And I certainly, more and more, we now talk about life beyond cancer. And certainly even since I qualified in the mid-90s, cancer treatment has thankfully really improved and changed. And a lot of cancers are picked up earlier, like yours, for example, which is fantastic. But it also means that certainly with breast cancer, most women who have had breast cancer actually don't die from breast cancer, which is fantastic. But what women tend to die from, the commonest cause is cardiovascular disease, so heart disease. And one of the things that low oestrogen or no oestrogen in our bodies does is that it affects us all over our bodies. So it causes symptoms like you were experiencing And it's often the psychological symptoms, the lack of oestrogen in our brains can really affect mood, it can affect memory, it can affect concentration, energy levels. But it's also the effect on our bones, on our hearts. So a woman is five times more likely to have a heart attack after the menopause. One in two women have osteoporosis and about one in three women will have a fracture. And it's these 
long-term effects of living without estrogen that worry me and women who have aromatase inhibitors like the first drug you had that block our estrogen can really increase the risk even more. So what I'm very interested in from your experience, and obviously it's only one experience, but were you given any written information or any information from any of the doctors or nurses or team you saw about long-term effects of the drugs that you were given? No, never, never. And do you think that would have helped? Because you obviously know a lot more now, but looking back, do you think it would be useful to have a booklet about life beyond your cancer? I think it would. I think, I mean, look, I can see their difficulties because if they tell you what the possible side effects are, and they and I say, mm. and they are possible because unfortunately we're all unique. <laughs> we're all different. Always. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I remember meeting women who, are, you know, I really struggled with letrozole, the, uh, the aromatase inhibitor, and I met women who didn't, who were fine, you know, who didn't mm. have the same reaction that I did. So I think that's what the doctors would say. But it would have been good to have some statistics, certainly on osteoporosis. Mm. I mean, I was really shocked when I found out how much I was increasing my chances of osteoporosis. Mm. I was just talking to a distant family member recently who had breast cancer shortly before me. And um, the other day she was lifting something out of the car, had a terrible pain in her back. And scans have now revealed that she's got osteoporosis in her spine and a little fracture. Mm. And that's directly resulted to the drugs that she's she's taking, uh, I think, you know. Uh, yes. And yes. she wasn't warned about that. She was never offered a bone density scan, nor was I. No. no. So I think the long-term effects, I think you should be told about. I think I can understand why they don't always tell you about potential side effects, because they're worried it will suggest Every side something effect. in our minds. Yes. Absolutely. But I think also I see a lot of women who have bone pain who've had breast cancer and they're automatically worrying that they've got bone metastases because obviously breast cancer can spread to the bones. Whereas like you're saying you were getting up in the morning, bone ache, feeling like an old woman. People can be very scared that actually it's all related to their cancer. And obviously it's very important that any symptoms get checked out. But for a lot of women they're having these symptoms. And most of us who haven't had breast cancer, still when menopausal symptoms come on, we're not expecting them. So it's even harder because I think when someone's had a disease, and especially with cancer, every ache or pain or headache, you're constantly thinking about the breast cancer, which is hard because you're a woman who's happened to have breast cancer, but you don't want to be known as, you know, every day thinking about breast cancer, which hopefully you've put behind no, you. No, I, you know I, 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 mean? I know. So I mean, I kind of always pride myself and I'm not a hypochondriac, you know, I'm pretty tough and blah, blah, blah. No. But I have to admit, about an 18 months after I'd had my breast cancer, I had a pain on one side of my back, left side, mm. which is where I had my cancer. And, you know, I, it wouldn't go away and blah, blah. And eventually, you know, I went and sort of demanded a full body scan because I was completely convinced I had, mm. I had bone cancer. And, you know, not without reason, because I, I, you know, I'd had a friend who also had breast cancer and had gone to her bones quite quickly. And her first symptom was back pain that didn't go away. Mm. I mean, I waited two to three months and it was nothing. But in those two to three months, I, you know, I lay awake at night and I imagined that it was, it had spread to all my bones. Yeah. And I, you know, I think things have changed a lot. When I was um, a medical student, I did a project with Tony Howell, who actually was always also talking at that, at that day. And he's a very amazing professor of medical oncology, and he does a lot of preventative breast cancer work now. But we used to go to his clinics and 
people would be seen every three to six months and they would just be seen, even if they had breast cancer 10, 20 years ago, it would just be everyone would be followed up. Whereas now it's good, things have changed. So once the initial treatment's gone, you often have a review and then the reviews become less and less frequent, don't they? Um, But then I was just reading an article recently at the weekend and it talked about falling off a cliff after surviving from cancer. And this was all cancers. And I think you're quite very vulnerable. You've had a lot of support, a lot of information, a lot of treatment often. And then suddenly it's the big outside world. And it's good because it means you can live your life But there's other diseases, there's other conditions. And, you know, people who take aromatase inhibitors, for example, have a three times increased risk of osteoporosis. And some guidelines, I was trying to find some and they haven't been updated for the last 10 years, would you believe, um, say that women who are going to start on these drugs really should have a DEXA scan beforehand to see their bone density. And there are lots of ways of improving bone density, not just taking HRT because that's not appropriate for every woman who's had breast cancer, but looking at taking vitamin D, calcium in your diet, weight-bearing exercise. And if you know that your bones are slightly thin, like your relative, if she'd had a bone scan before, she might have been able to do something to try and prevent osteoporosis and a fracture. So it's this sort of information which I think is really important exactly and when you're discharged from hospital that's yeah and that's where it comes back to patient choice you know that if you're the more information Mm. you're you're given the more able that you are to be able to make those choices yeah it's really important yeah the other thing before we talk about hrt because estrogen gets all over our bodies and it can affect us like i say in different ways we have estrogen receptors on our uh, vaginas, on our bladder, on our pelvic floor. So it's very common. Some studies have shown up to 80% of women after the menopause have symptoms related to vaginal dryness. And obviously that can cause pain and discomfort during penetrative sex. But it also can cause discomfort walking or sitting. Or I see some women who can't wear underclothes because it's so painful. We know that breast cancer patients, especially on tamoxifen and aromatase inhibitors are more likely to have vaginal dryness and libido problems and sexual dysfunction. Did anyone talk to you about any of those potential symptoms, Kirsty? No, and this I feel quite strongly about, actually. Mm. Um, Nobody mentioned this to me, and it had a very profound impact on my sex life. I'd had quite Mm. a good sex life before. Uh, I have a very good marriage, and, and that's part of it. And I got extreme vaginal dryness and it was, you know, sort of like kind of, you know, sandpaper, very, very painful. Penetrative sex was incredibly painful. And so I sort of had to bring it up. And I think that's, you know, and I'm somebody who's fairly open about talking about sex. Yes. So, but even so, you know, both my oncologist and my surgeon are male and it is mm. awkward. And what happened when you did bring it up? Uh, well, you know, I brought it up. So I'd, I'd done some reading about having um, estrogen pessaries and uh, to what extent mm. that was a risk for somebody like me. And they looked sort of surprised. Like, oh, oh, yes, no, yes, you, yes, you could do that. Yes. And I think there's very, very almost no risk at all because it's very localized, mm. locally applied. Absolutely, and, yeah. um, you know, I got a prescription, but you know, and it made a huge difference. It really did make a huge it, difference yes, straight yeah. away. But it took me a long time to pluck up the courage. Quite some time had gone by. And I think what I feel really angry about was that um, I had a friend, um, a male friend, who was diagnosed with uh, prostate cancer at a similar age to where I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Mm. 
And a huge amount of time was spent advising him on how he could maintain a healthy sex life and get an erection and so on. And that was all part, that was built into the treatment. Whereas for women, we're expected to bring it up. And I don't think that's fair because I think a lot of women find it very embarrassing to bring it up. I found it embarrassing. I didn't want to bring it up. It is embarrassing. And yeah, I mean, my husband, as you know, is a urologist. And if someone's deciding if they've had prostate cancer, they're deciding whether to go for surgery or for radiotherapy. Talking about impotence and ejaculation is really important. And like you say, before treatment, it's decisions to be made. Whereas there's something about women and sex it shouldn't be talked about and it's disgusting really the other thing is because the estrogen receptors are also on our bladders and pelvic floor a lot of women get urinary symptoms so they get recurrent urinary tract infections cystitis just um, incontinence they can't hold on to the urine as much and a lot of people um, don't realize that's related to localized low estrogen and can improve with things like estrogen pessaries and I've spoken to a lot of patients and women who have said to me well their oncologist says well if you've not got an infection don't worry about it you've had your cancer treatment everything's fine any problems see your GP well actually it's part of because it's been caused by the treatment and I feel it's really important that women are warned about that as a potential symptom because you know sex is very important we're British we don't talk about it enough but we know that having regular sex is obviously very important for a couple but we know from studies actually it can improve quality of life it can reduce the risk of depression has even been some work that men who have sex at least twice a week have a lower risk of cardiovascular disease and also better performance at work so there's you know there's lots to be said about regular sex that isn't painful you know I know and I think as a breast cancer survivor I would say I, I remember kind of thinking that Breast cancer must have been sort of invented by some kind of, you know, evil Greek god who didn't like women because, you know, it comes down mm. and it chops off your breasts and, you know, it's at a, and it happens just at a time well, for me, you know, where I was going through menopause. So you're already feeling, you know, you're feeling unattractive. Mm. Your powers of attraction of a, as a woman have waned. So you're feeling very, very vulnerable about those sort of things mm. already. And so then for your libido to disappear, which it very much does. Yes. And then even if you want to have, you know, sort of think, well, okay, I'll still have sex because I know it's important for my marriage, my relationship. And to find it so unbelievably painful, and you're right about urinary tract infections. I got several of those and they're very uncomfortable. Mm. And I hadn't literally mm. haven't had one since my twenties, you know. All of that was depressing. It was really depressing. Mm. And I agree with you. I think sex is regular sex is important for a relationship. And you know, often it, women are diagnosed with breast cancer around my age in life, in your early 50s, your yes. children have left home, you're, you know, it's a difficult transitionary stage. Mm, absolutely. And maintaining that intimacy with your partner at that point is important. Of course it is. It's absolutely. And there are non-hormonal treatments as well. So there are some really good vaginal moisturizers that can be used regularly. And then there are some vaginal lubricants that can be used during sexual intercourse that are non-hormonal. Companies such as Yes, Regel and Silk, S-Y-L-K are the best. We have lots of samples that we give out to women 
in the clinic because there are a lot that are not so good. There are certain manufacturers that do scented ones and a lot of people buy them and they find them really uncomfortable. So you have to be careful what you use. Yes. I mean, I, I was recommended uh, by somebody to use the Yes, um, yes. lubricant, yeah. which you can, if you're, you don't have to go into a pharmacy. Just you can buy, buy it online, pharmacy. which is great. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And Yes do different ones. So they do a water-based and an oil-based lubricant and they also do a moisturiser and they're organic. So, um, But it's about trying the different ones and seeing and, and a lot of these companies will give samples as well before you even buy and then like you say there is vaginal oestrogen and that can be given as a pessary which is usually used twice a week or it can be used as a ring that lasts for 90 days and it can be taken out if women want to when they have sexual intercourse or there's creams as well and all of these give a very, very low dose of oestrogen locally. And we know from studies that the absorption into the body is the same as placebo. So the first couple of days, there's a very small amount that is absorbed. And that's usually because the lining of the vagina is so thin, it gets absorbed very easily. But once the oestrogen works to build up the lining of the vagina, as you can imagine, it becomes thicker, so it's harder to penetrate. So we know that women who have had breast cancer can still safely use this and unfortunately I don't know if you read the insert but the patient information in the packaging is completely incorrect because it talks about the oestrogen like it was a systemic oestrogen so it will say risk of clot risk of stroke risk of breast cancer it is horrendous and it's completely factually wrong that's so women. No, I didn't read that. No, but a lot of people don't because if you read the paracetamol one, mm. it's going to tell you you're probably going to die. So, yes. but a lot of women who are understandably anxious about hormones who've had breast cancer want to read and it's important that they have the right information and this is actually wrong information but the International Menopause Society the British Menopause Society are very clear that we can safely use localized oestrogen women who are on aromatase inhibitors probably shouldn't just because they want to block every scrap of oestrogen in the body but um, certainly people on tamoxifen can still use localized oestrogen. Yeah on tamoxifen then you can. On letrosol, that, that was the other thing that led to. So, postmenopausal women are pretty much always put on letrosol, yes. and premenopausal yeah. on tamoxifen. So, when I, I said to my doctor that was the first step that I wanted to try localized mm. um, estrogen. And until that point, I had just thought, like many, many breast cancer survivors, that all estrogen was bad, it was evil, yes. you know. And then, mm. and, and, and so I was even frightened of using the localized one. And my doctor said, no, no, it's okay, it's safe, but uh, you can't use it on letrosol because the letrosol just block it. That's how it works. Tamoxifen works in a different way, Mm. which I'm not a scientist, so I'm not going to go into, um, but it's been explained to me. So you can use it with tamoxifen, and it's perfectly okay for postmenopausal women to take tamoxifen. And I'll probably take it, I'll certainly probably take it for 10 years. I mean, certainly with localised oestrogen, women have to carry on taking it forever. Because as soon as you stop, the lining of the vagina becomes thin and sore again. And so because the dose is so low, it doesn't build up in the system. So it's absolutely fine. No, I meant I was going to take the tamoxifen for 10 years. Oh, I see. (laughs) So yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And the studies have changed and they used to just give it for five years and then increased it to 10 years. But it's very much looking at 
individually what women get out of it. And tamoxifen is what's called a CERM, so it's a selective oestrogen receptor modulator. And like you say, it's not a pure anti-oestrogen, it's anti-oestrogen on the breast tissue, but actually it's pro-oestrogen on other tissues, including the womb. So there is a small risk of cancer of the lining of the womb with tamoxifen. So nothing is without risk. No, and, <laughs> um, and, and that's, that's, yeah, that's one thing that my doctor sort of said to me is that uh, with what I'm doing now, is that having my womb scan from time to time to just make yes. sure that everything's healthy. Yeah. But, you know, you would tend to have some breakthrough bleeding yeah. or something like that, wouldn't yeah. you? You know, and, and so in the moment you had some bleeding, you take yourself Absolutely. off. Then but... that's the time that you really need to have a scan. And then I'm just going to only really mention briefly, because I know there's a fantastic podcast that you and Liz Earle have recorded about your decision to take HRT. And in fact, mm. a lot of my colleagues have listened to it. And we have all thought that both of you sound far more knowledgeable than many of our colleagues, because <laughs> you've both, well, no, the reason being, and I'm not being rude about my colleagues, but actually, we never get taught about menopause at medical school. And certainly, we just get taught, if we have any teaching, that HRT you cannot give to women with breast cancer, end of. And that's as much teaching as Mm. we will get. Whereas actually what you and Liz have done is really researched it. Like you say, for your piece in The Man on Sunday, you've spoken to lots of experts and you've got your own personal experience and you've made an informed choice. And I think that really comes across in the podcast. So any of you want to listen more about Kirsty's decision to take HRT, I would really strongly say to listen to Liz's podcast uh, with you because... It's very important. What you have decided to do is not going to be right for every woman. And some women will choose not to. And we have very strict sort of guidelines that we use in my clinic. As you know, I have lots of doctors that work in my clinic and there's a Kirsty Lang effect. So we see lots <laughs> of women who have had breast cancer who decide they want to be on HRT. And so we obviously wouldn't give it to the first person who has just been diagnosed with breast cancer and had a few hot flushes that would not be appropriate at all but there are a lot of women who have tried alternatives as indeed you had that are not hormonal they've tried improving their lifestyle and they're still really struggling and in fact I saw a woman in my clinic recently who had been a hairdresser for a long time loved her job and about 12 years ago had been diagnosed similar to you with a with a breast cancer picked up on screening very small had treatment hers was actually estrogen receptor negative which in some ways is even easier when you're thinking about hormones but she said to me do you know what if my breast cancer came back I think my friends would be really happy because if I died I wouldn't be a burden because at the moment my life is horrible I'm hating my job. I'm not going out. I'm generally miserable. I just feel awful. And I just thought, this is terrible. You know, she's 52 and she said, I'm just not happy. I, I really, there's nothing in my life that is giving me pleasure anymore. And so someone like her has really, I think, got a right to try HRT for a few months and see. She knows that the evidence is quite uncertain. There isn't strong evidence to say women who take HRT increase their risk future of having breast cancer recurrence. There is a somewhat that shows that it might reduce. We just don't know. And mm. as you know, if you've had breast cancer in the past, there's always a risk. But actually, there's also a risk of depression and heart disease and osteoporosis by not having HRT. So a lot of women we see try it for three months and then they can make a more informed choice because it's very hard, as you know, to know how you're going to be once you take 
the right dose and type of HRT. And sometimes even very low doses can make a big difference. And we do oestrogen levels in women as a guide when they come to the clinic often. And I've seen a lot of women who have not been on hormones and still have oestrogen in their body and sometimes fairly high amounts, more than we would give oestrogen too so we know our fat cells make oestrogen our adrenal glands make oestrogen so we can never unless you're on aromatase inhibitor you can't block it completely so you know oestrogen's not all evil but we need to just make sure that women have the right information and it often isn't a quick decision and it's giving women the right support and the right knowledge and and making it right for them I think is what's really important. I think that's right. And I think it also makes you, I think oh, very often when you're feeling ill or you're feeling down, you feel like you've lost control of your life. Mm, mm. And so actually to inform yourself and to read up on these things, you know, read Avram Blooming's book, as you yes. suggested, Eastern Matters, quite heavy going, but you can read it, skim read it. Yes. Um, you know, listen to podcasts like yours and so on. So that at least when you go and see your doctor, you're armed with options. You know, there are options. Yeah. But mm. I absolutely agree with you. You know, try lots of other things. You know, I, I've always found acupuncture very, very helpful for some menopausal symptoms, you know. And, and for some women, that's enough, you know. Yes. And plenty of exercise yeah. and so on. And, mm. you know, altering your diet. There are lots of things you can do. But uh, that's the importance of just getting as much information as possible. And it just, as I say, it makes you feel more in control. But it is also about the medical profession not being afraid to inform patients, to allow us to make a choice, yes. to arm us with information yeah. um, and allow, you know, allow us to take slight risks if necessary because all of life is a risk. You yes. know, I'm not going to deny that I'm, I, you know, I know some people listening will be horrified that I'm increasing my risk, but I feel I'm balancing it out with quality of life and other risks like osteoporosis as you say I think so I I think it's really important looking at the bigger picture and certainly women who don't exercise women who are overweight or obese have a higher risk of developing breast cancer than taking HRT so it is looking overall and you've got to be happy with the decision that you make and no decision is irreversible but I think it's very important to have a a good conversation with your doctor. I know personally when I go to visit my GP, I'm very conscious that they've only got 10 minutes and they're often running late and I'm trying to get my words out really quickly. And actually, if a patient comes to see me and says, look, this is what I want to talk about in my 10 minutes. I've made this decision. I've read this research. I've read this paper. Can we have a focused talk about this? Then actually the conversation is so much easier. Mm. So women can help, I think, as well. So, well, that's been really useful and I hope it's been very informative and useful for lots of women and men, hopefully, listening. (laughs) Yes, I hope so. I think the more information you can get, the better. So um, to anyone out there in my situation, don't despair. You know, there is a way out. Good. Thank you. And so just before we finish, Kirsty, could I have three take home tips? So for women who have had breast cancer either recently or in the past, what would you recommend to help them if they're struggling with symptoms? Well, I would definitely recommend local vaginal uh, estrogen or pessaries for vaginal dryness, which I think that's really actually quite important. And there's no risk Mm. there at all. So don't worry Mm. about that. I think that's very important. And then I think, you know, look, it's a difficult thing to judge. You know, how much are you struggling? You know, if it's just the occasional hot flush or whatever, 
you know, there are things that you can try. I mean, I certainly took a mild anti-anxiety or antidepressant for a bit, which helped Mm. a little bit. I do, you know, weight-bearing exercise. I walk every single day. Those kind of things are important. But, you know, if you are still really struggling after that, you're feeling, you know, tired, emotional. I mean, I was getting hot flushes and sweats, you know, pretty much every hour. 24 hours a day Mm. and it was becoming you know I was having to take a change of clothes to work with me that's kind of thing Mm. then I think you know if it really does feel like life is so difficult then go to your doctor go to your oncologist or your surgeon or whatever and and have this conversation with them or try and find a doctor who is sympathetic and there are you know there are doctors out there remember you can always on the Mm. NHS you can always ask for a second opinion if you don't get the right one, you want, yeah. you know, you are allowed. Mm. And look into the possibility. Find out the risks and make an informed choice. But, the, you know, there's a lot of information out there. But don't just assume because you've survived breast cancer that you should just feel, you know, oh, I'm lucky to have survived. And now I'm going, mm. this is a cross I'm going to have to bear if life is going to be difficult. It doesn't have to be. Absolutely. I think that's so important. More and more work is being done into improving the lives of women who have survived breast cancer, just as a lot of work has been put into improving the lives of men who've survived prostate cancer, cancer, as we've said before. (laughs) So don't be afraid to ask. Yeah, I think that's such key advice. Just be strong and try and get the right advice pertinent to you and not listen to too many opinions, I think, sometimes as well. So thank you so much for giving up your time today, Kirsty, and joining me in this podcast. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Louise. Thank you. (laughs) Bye-bye. For more information about the menopause, please visit our website, www.menopausedoctor.co.uk. Listener.